Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast. In fact, the 250th episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game. With my 250 associates, Mr. Peter Marsh. Well, you've been on most of them anyway, haven't you? How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, Russ. That's, it's quite scary, Newton, because like three years' time, we're celebrating our 500th one then on that basis. <laughs> yes, yeah, could be. Um, we're also welcoming back our regular guest contributor, Dr. Andy Knott. How are you doing, Andy? I'm good, thank you. Excellent. Good to see you. And um, we're all smiling, of course, because not only have we had a fantastic win at the weekend, it was against that lot. <laughs> and how much did we enjoy that? Lots of controversy beside. We'll be talking all about that in a moment. But first of all, just about the uh, the 250. We started this, didn't we, Peter? January the 6th, I think it was, uh, 2020, or at least that's the publishing date for the first episode. And in two and three quarter years or so, or best part of three years, we seem to have racked up 250 episodes. As I said, most of them you're, you're included on. And um, uh, an incredible amount, in fact, you could say... a, a, a an unfeasible amount of ramblage, as I'm now inventing a word here. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much more talking we could do, but I don't seem to be able to stop myself. I don't, I don't really know what to say for that, really, to be honest. <laughs> Especially seeing as you also have another podcast as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, doing doing the film stuff, film finds, checking out everybody. But it's been absolutely fantastic. We've enjoyed it so far. No intentions of stopping anytime soon. And, um, you know, it's, it's great to have... Uh, to be able to do it with with good guest contributors such as Andy and also Andy Andy Bravery who's joined us as well. So Andy, welcome to the two hundred and fiftieth episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, okay, you- thank you. Been a bit of a been a bit of a rush back from London. Um, before uh, have we started yet? Yeah, we started. We're on. <laughs> right. Okay. Great. So right, if you need to ask anything, we can pause for a moment. <laughs> but um, no, we'll probably be okay. And so, yeah, we've got plenty to talk about. 
Uh, we're going to get on to Chelsea in plenty of detail in a moment. We're just talking about the fact we've had 250 episodes. We won't list them all again, but we've had a number of great guests on. We've had uh, we've introduced the match day specials, the latest of which, of course, uh, was on Saturday to celebrate that glorious win. And um, we've we've been enjoying the variety that we've brought. I think in terms of um, changing things up a little bit, but we do like the traditional classic which after a couple of podcasts um, became the Zooms online during lockdown. Um, and there's no lockdown at the moment, of course, but there is a Zoom chat to be had. Um, so let's get on to the, the main subject, shall we? Um, we've had the match day special talking about the game, taking in the atmosphere and all the other, all the rest of it. Um, but let's analyse the game in a bit more detail here. Um, now, Peter, Andy, Andy K, you were at the games. Andy B, you weren't at the game, I believe. Was that right? That's true. I was yeah. at the game as well. Sorry? I wasn't at the game either. No. You weren't at the game? Did you not know that? No. no I, was in Paris. I was in Paris this weekend. Oh, bloody hell. God, Dick, I can't believe you two missed it. Well, given being at the game, um, uh, given that alongside Russell, I was the only one that was at the game, um, the atmosphere was just electric. It was absolutely brilliant. Um and there was some absolutely brilliant chants, not all of which I uh, heard, actually. One of which that I didn't hear was, um, shall we sell you a song, I think. Yeah, that's right. But I, I particularly liked You're Just a Shit, Brighton and Hope Albion. That was um, brilliant, wasn't it? Um, and, even if it didn't sound exactly. a few others as well. Yeah. Yeah, all that added to the atmosphere. I had a friend who's a Sheffield Wednesday fan for his sins um, sent me a message asking if the atmosphere was as good or better than the playoff game between us. I'd say, well, it was certainly the best atmosphere since then. Um, very hard to kind of... No, no, nothing compares to that to me. The, I don't think... The, the, the 2016 playoff. Yeah. But, I mean, that, that was the best. It, it, even though it was glorious failure, that to me, still remains my best Amets experience. Um, I wasn't there at the beginning, um, yeah. by, by which I mean the Donny game, but I've, seen, yeah. I've, seen, I've been there for most games, yeah. actually. Yeah, I'd, I'd go along with that. I mean, my ears were literally hurting uh, from the noise at the Sheffield Wednesday game. It wasn't far behind uh, at points uh, on Saturday. And in other games as well, like the 4-0 against Man U and yeah. even the Burnley game. Like said, I think we said this week, there's been a few, you know, the kind of examples where where we tend to have good atmosphere with the MX are either when ex-players or managers come back and get abuse. Dan Harding being an obvious example of that. Or back to the wall games, whatever, where we, you know, there's a sense of injustice so Sheffield Wednesday home obviously was injustice at the, the way things had happened the previous couple of weeks, or Burnley home when we were down to nine men after ten minutes, and there was a you know games like that, and, it's, it, and a lot of the time it drifts unless something happens other than other outside of that. But you know when we got back to the wall, or when when there's a kind of real kind of sense of injustice, it does really kind of you know ratchet up and actually have a really good atmosphere there. It shows that you know, the acoustics can work. It isn't just the you know, the fact that it's quite a new ground with quite a you know, high roof and that sort of thing, which people sometimes blame when it when the atmosphere is good it does get really loud yeah agreed and it's interesting the Sheffield Wednesday comparison actually because in both cases we set off with an agenda both in terms of the players and, and the rest of the staff behind the scenes and in terms of the fans and in both cases we started furiously well with an absolute bombardment of the opposition's goal at the same yeah. end south end uh, of course, the difference was we didn't break Sheffield Wednesday down. We didn't get the goal in that game, and as we all know, it petered out. And although we, uh, uh, we, we did, we did get the goal. 
Well, um, oh, sorry, yes, not, not immediately, but yes, not immediately. after about twenty-five minutes, didn't yeah, they? After, after it calmed down, wasn't it? Which was interesting. Yeah. Um, whereas in this game, of course, we had two chances cleared off the line by the same player with his head, and then we within had within four minutes, and then we scored minutes, within and then five. A goal in the fifth minute, yeah. So that's where the difference lay, and obviously in the, in the outcome and the continued enjoyment of the day as as, as the match wore on. Um, Andy B. So I can't think of really any perks from not being there on Saturday other than the fact that obviously I heard the interviews after the game and, um, and both so Dunk was interviewed and Dunk, Dunk, I I mean, I think it was slightly um, exasperated in a way as in like, you know, why why can't we have that atmosphere every week? If we had that atmosphere every week, what a place this would be. And um, some people made the point that Potter commented, but I found it a bit of a back, backhanded compliment really, because he almost said the same. He almost said like, maybe, we'd have got a lot more wins if the crowd were like that every week, which you could take that either way you wanted to. Hmm. I, I decided to take it and treat it with the, with the disdain that it deserved. But um, but I do think there's something about that. I mean, there are about certain individual games. Sometimes it's the referee that gets us going in those games. Um, but I also think there's something about if you can start well and get that first goal and get the get the impetus, you know, the crowd will get behind you. But if you don't get that, sometimes it struggles. And my views on on us when we end up fans at the end booing for you know for things that I just find unacceptable then you know I mean it was different on Saturday but generally speaking that depresses me when they do that but um you know it just sounded as if on Saturday everybody went there they made their mind up before the game what they were going to do they were going to make a hostile um environment for the for the opposition and the players fed into that from the minute that they started and it sounded brilliant. It sounded really good. Well, Andy, it certainly was like that, wasn't it? And it certainly did have an effect. It was, it was mentioned by, I think that somewhere in, in, in line in both, um, both lines of uh, staff, Chelsea yeah. and Brighton. Um, well, and, and um, Deserby said that um, we were the best, best player on the pitch. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> Even though we weren't but, technically on the pitch, but um, yeah. <laughs> we made them. Hmm. Uh, but I I agree with the point that Andy's making is you know we can we can be dreadful at the Emirates and we can be utterly brilliant whereas our way fans are always brilliant yeah um, and there has to be some way of working out how we can be more consistently hmm. you know not not necessarily at that level but to get behind the team um, more substantially. Um, and you know, I I don't really um, I don't I w- we'll come on to this. I didn't really um, uh, get offended remotely by much of what Potter said, and I know everyone's really offended. But we'll come on to it. We need to speak about the game first. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So we we've set we, we'll get yeah as you said we'll get back to all the post match stuff and what the pundits thought and all the other stuff later on. But in terms of the game itself. Um, there was one, one or two enforced changes. Interesting lineup uh, as we walked to the game and you know started working out what was going to be going on. <laughs> um, we didn't have uh, Danny Welbeck in the team. I didn't know in advance what that would be about. As I understand it, I think he was just under the weather, wasn't he, or something? Um, I'm, I'm not quite clear on it even now. So well, stuff- L- Lamptey was um, Lamptey yeah. was. Yeah. Whereas Dunk was only passed to play in the morning. And I think he's got some problem with his knee. Yeah, OK. And obviously Beltman was out because he'd had a knock in the previous game. So we started with uh, Grosch playing at right back 
effectively Webster Dunk in the middle and Estepinian on the left-hand side, who I thought was our man of the match. We'll come. come I agree. On, I agree. We'll, we'll come on to that in more, more detail in a minute. But um, midfield, of course, Caicedo and McAllister. And then we had March playing further advanced ahead of Grosh. We had Mitoma playing on the left side, Lalana central and Trossard up top effectively, although it was a, a very roving, interchangeable setup, I thought, in some regards. Andy Kay, go on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I'm glad you've laid it out because I think it was really, really important in terms of how, how the game progressed because Potter has been playing what many people call wingbacks, um, which has been Pulisic uh, and Sterling. Um, but he, he plays them almost as wingers, almost as the two most advanced players on the pitch. And it's about stretching the pitch, effectively. Yeah. Um, and he did um, now. W- he did that with us for you know fifteen uh, his last fifteen games, more or less. Didn't didn't always, but Trossard on on the left, March on the right, um, and that coincided with our great run of form that um, Peter likes emphasising, and we might well come back to as well uh, <laughs> um, and the the positioning of Gross as right back and he, he did play as right back I think completely through Potter Potter didn't respond to it um, which was really surprising until the second half until the beginning of the second half when they went to flat back full because they were playing what I'd probably call Three, three, one, three, effectively, yeah. in the first half. But um, what it meant was effectively our front three of March, Trossard, and Mitima was up against their back three, um, and we just got the better of them. Particularly March on Cucurella, which um, the fans obviously enjoyed. A great deal. <laughs> Immensely. Yeah. I mean, March, March was was stunning in the first half. I, I think he's been really good this season. And, and um, the way in which Deserby seems to be singling him out, hmm. um, you know, he hasn't started scoring, but you kind of hope with this continual playing and the way in which Deserby is bigging, bigging him up that once he does score a few more might follow on. I'm not expecting him to get into double figures, for instance, in the yeah. Premier League season, yeah. uh, even from the start. But, um, yeah, I yeah. know you, um, you don't go back as far as that, Andy, yourself, Andy Kay, but um, in terms, this reminds me a little bit of Gus Poyet with um, Adam El Abt and making this comment, he's the best defender at the club. And I don't think it necessarily needed to be true. I don't necessarily believe he thought it was true, but he wanted to make him believe it was true or to big him up and uh, to do whatever it was necessary with a certain project, with a certain player. And I think you get that. A lot of lot, for, lot of different managers and coaches do the same thing. They'll focus in on a player because they feel that that particular player needs in the public eye to be given a boost of some sort, whether it's verbal or whether it's in terms of how many games he's been given to play versus a previous manager or whatever it might be. Um, he certainly seems to be coming into his own. And the last couple of games, he's been outstanding, hasn't he, March? Really has. Um, 
and in terms of the lineup, the other, the rest of the defence, uh, Chelsea, of course, with Chalaber on the right and Thiago Silva, the experienced Brazilian in the middle, who already had to make two clearances, as we mentioned, in the first three or four minutes. Um, the first one, I believe, was his own error, which he was atoning for. Um, he'd given the ball away. The ball was slotted back towards Trossard by our guy um, on the turn, chip ball over the goalie, and there he was on the line to head it over. Uh, what I love about that is him being left bustling in the net. Uh, just aesthetically, that looks brilliant. And also the fact it implies how desperate the clearance must have been uh, is great. And that's right at the beginning. Then, of course, um, he makes another clearance from Estupinian, our man of the match, um, from a, a drilled shot, uh, which was a fantastic effort. Um, really deserved a goal, to be honest. Um, but um, I think the brunt of it uh, was taken by... Uh, Tiago Silva's forehead <laughs> and away it went for a corner so yeah right from the off the defence was up against it and for the reasons you've said Andy and the gaps that were left in behind um, basically wing backs who are not really suited for the role they're not wing backs yes he might turn them into them over time maybe but that was a hell of a time to experiment with it I have to say uh, Peter let's bring you back in on that point I was going to say how well that's stupid I did to keep it, that shot down um, yeah, we've seen so many of our players over the years put that into the rose Z. Players who are actually attackers as well, not defenders. Um, and he, yeah, it's really encouraging to hear that he has such a good game because, yeah, it, he's, there's, obviously, there's obviously ability there from what I've seen so far, but he's felt a little bit like he's taken a bit of time to adapt to the English games at this point. But maybe he's also not been a full 90 minutes player until now, but it'd be really good if he could come. Because we, we have missed Kukurea, the Kukurea of last year, obviously, not the Kukurea from the sound of it of this season. But we have missed him a bit so far, but certainly the last five or five games or so. But he's, if, if yeah, Superman can come in and, I mean, if he's genuinely, he is a good replacement for Kukurea and we've got 15, 50 million on him and we've got 50 odd million plus whatever for Kukurea, then that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? If, we, if it does turn out to be right, especially if Kukurea never finds that form again like he's having at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I agree with your assessment of Stupinan. Um, you know, he's got so many good a- attributes, but I, I do, do think he's struggled to acclimatise. I don't think it's to do with the physicality of the Premier League. I, I think it's about um, his, the positions that he takes up, and at times he overcommits himself that leaves it exposed. So that that first goal um, that Tony scored, um, um, I, you know, I, I blame him for that actually because he he overcommitted himself, and there was just an enormous amount of space that was left. And um, there were one or two other occasions in that game, and he got taken off quite early. And near the end of the Leeds game as well, which he played quite well at first, but then he started playing balls across his own like area, like or across the own area almost, and giving the ball away, and cost us almost before he got taken off as well. Yeah, well, I think he, he's quietly being impressing for me. I think he's he, he's gradually growing. I think it's going to take time to get up to full whack but I, I think he's getting there I do agree with you Andy that he was to blame for that first Brentford goal because he, he did overcommit he didn't need to to do that he could have stood his ground and made things difficult but um, I think over time he will hopefully prove to be an able uh, replacement he'll be a different type of player to some degree uh, to Kukurea but I do think his, he, he provides some dangerous crosses um, and through balls and as we saw now shots as well by the looks of it um, which mm. is very encouraging and um, I mean, He's delivering the box is really good. Yeah, you know, and it, and it's like it's on the ground. I just, I mean, kind of, if I if I'm going into my fan speak, I'd say that, but just lose the plot. 
And I think that's what happened against Leeds. You could just see that for some reason, it, mentally, he'd just gone. And 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 then I think his questions, there were questions then about his decision making on the ball and off the ball. But um, that might be partly about fatigue. It might be an experience. Could be a number of things. But if he can, if he irons those things out, then then he's got a lot of good attributes for the way that we want to play football. Yeah. Absolutely, and maybe in the, maybe the World Cup could help him getting experience of a, of a you know high profile tournament. Uh, I know he might be playing a different way slightly, or what, what have you. I don't really know, but you know that yeah, it, it'll grow and grow. Uh, Peter, I, I agree with Andy about his crossing as well. I think I think actually in the final third he looked better than Kukurea. Kukurea did have the you know some couple of assists last year in one goal, but a lot quite a lot of the time his balls maybe weren't quite right into the box or just missed that man. Whereas Stupinon seems to be able to deliver a, a dangerous cross more regularly and get get someone on the Albion Pair on the end of it. Whether he's he's not quite near defensive levels yet, possibly, to Kukurea, who obviously was, was brilliant for us last season. But going forward, I think he already looks like he's probably going to put a better ball into the box more often than, than Kukurea did. Yeah. yeah, I'd go along with that, certainly. And um, he was outstanding in this game. Uh, he really was. I think the interplay between him... Uh, Mitama, who of course had his second start, but his first league start for us, who I was impressed, I've been impressed with every time I've seen him play, apart from really the Brentford game, but he was on the wrong side and the game, it just didn't open up for him there. He got a um, knock quite early. Yeah, he, he, he got a knock, um, which he got kept a knock, him out. Yeah. Which was actually I, the 90 seconds into the half, I've just realised, and when I yeah. watched it back, it was earlier than I remembered it being. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, anyway. I, I didn't think he was quite as good as as many people did actually um, against Chelsea, uh, I, I've, I, I could see his inventiveness and his qualities. And I've been really surprised by how good he was. I, I always thought that Undav would adapt better than he, he did. And it's been completely the other way around. Um, but um, yeah, he, he just seemed to, to give the ball away too much for me. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I think I just thought the um, the link ups worked pretty well. That was that was the main thing. I don't well, know the, if... the, the the gross gross march link up is something else as far as oh, I'm yeah, concerned. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk a bit more about that actually, because as we said, there were gaps being left in behind because Sterling is not a natural wing back. He's not used to playing that role, even if he's happy to do so. Um, and he he seemed to be caught between. Uh, it caught in limbo, really, didn't he? Between one one spot and another, and um, although he looked dangerous on the ball in the usual way, and the attacking third on the left hand side, uh, the right side of our defence, um, there was just huge gaps being left in there. And I don't think enough of their players knew what they were doing within that system to cover for that shortfall either. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'd agree with that. Um, I mean, this point everyone might not agree with, um, but. I thought at the end of the first half, we were actually a little bit lucky to go in with a nil by Chelsea's um, score. <coughs> Their finishing wasn't good, or it wasn't good at the end that it was supposed to be. Exactly. I thought the, the save that Sanchez made from Gallagher's header was, was absolutely brilliant, and, yeah. and Sanchez yeah. was. Was was fantastic, and you know, in terms of the Gallagher's shot, um, I think you need to put an awful lot of that down to Sanchez's presence, 
and the way he came out to him. Because when I saw that Gaga had the ball with much space on the penalty spot, I just thought that's going to be a goal. A little bit like I thought when De Bruyne got the ball um, on the edge of the penalty area, I thought that's going to be a goal. Hmm. Yeah, that's the problem. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the shot came first, then the header. But both of those were dangerous chances. One, as you said, it just it looked inevitable. Um, but the presence of Sanchez and a good save was great. Even then, they I can't remember who it was. Someone scuffed the... Pulisic, yeah. As I said, Pulisic. Dreadful yeah. miss. Dreadful miss. He scuffed the rebound because they still had an open goal when all said and done after yeah. that. So that was a dangerous attack and it should have been a goal. And that could be part of a different story then. Um, the header came fairly soon afterwards, didn't it? Which was a clever header, sort of stooped and flicked kind of headed motion by um, Gallagher. Uh, it was going towards the top corner, flying save from Sanchez. There's some great still photography of that from a different angle to the TV, um, showing how good it was and how, how gro- uh, well, visually poetic it was as well as, uh, as just being a good save. Um, again, could have been a different moment. And as we discovered in the first part of the second half, Gallagher is a good player. We, we already know he's a good player, uh, much as we begrudge the fact he had a, a good season at Palace and he was roundly booed for it in this match. Uh, he was their best player um, because he, he nearly scored two goals, um, which were dangerous chances. Um, admittedly, maybe should have finished the first one. Um, and then he created the, uh, the actual goal they did score. So, you know, there's a, a lot of reasons why... I was very pleased we kept them out in the first half. You're right. We were a bit lucky to, to come with a clean sheet at half-time. Uh, Peter, over to you. Yeah, I was just going to say, I thought Gallagher should have, really should have scored, to be honest, the first one. He, um, he, he had the ball in quite a lot, reasonable amount of space, although Sanchez came out and did really well. I just, yeah, I, I do think probably he should have put that one away. Pulisic, you could argue it kind of came, came quickly to him, but yeah, he should have scored as well. Second one was a yeah, obviously quite a decent header, and there's nothing more you could have done with it. I do think maybe we should start forgiving Gallagher after uh, for his Palace spell. After he scored the last minute winner there and missed two chances again, or missed a chance, good chance against us. So maybe we should start forgiving him for that. Got got a last minute winner at Palace, and then yeah, missed a good chance against us to bring him back in the game. So uh, yeah, thing is, he's, the thing is, he's he's a good player, isn't he? And he's always he's always busy. He's always busy. He's always trying to influence things, really. I mean, I Palace really like him as a player. Early. Yeah, well, they are, definitely. Him and, him and um, McCarthy. McCarthy's the other one they miss. Yeah, um, that's right. I've read yeah, a few exactly. articles on the, um, on, on the Athletic, and when McCarthy's not around, he's injured. Is it McCarthy or MacArthur? MacArthur, that's I it. I think it's McCarthy you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, he, he, he really, they really miss him in that team. Yeah, I mean, he's a cracking player. The good thing is he's good enough that he, he's got in the Chelsea team and he stayed in it under the different manager, Grant Potter. Um, so that should put pay to any any loans back to Selhurst, which is what I'm happy about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, um, that, I mean, that's not on the agenda at all. No, um, that, that's it, not. I mean, he's been helped by the fact that Conte looks as though his time at the top is over um, mm. because of multiple injuries. Hello, Alan, by the yes, way. Yes, we are joined by oh. Alan. Hello. Hi there, how are you doing? All good, all good. Celebrating our good. 250th episode and Brighton's first win under Deserby. We've been chatting um, pretty much most, uh, covered the first half effectively uh, before you joined us. So um, I don't know if you wanted to add your words about uh, pre-match build-up, pre-match atmosphere or anything to do with the first half. What were your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, from a personal point of view, it was good fun uh, 
pre-match. <laughs> yeah, we're in on board, uh, aren't we? Have a absolutely, yeah. So that great, was uh, that was really good. Uh, I thought the. I mean, I'm not sure what you said, but it was absolutely buzzing inside the ground. You could really sense it when you walked in. Uh, everybody was well up for it. So uh, yeah, from 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 the word go, it was uh, it was really buzzing. And uh, the first half, I mean, it was just unbelievable. We just it was we just barnstormed it, and it was fantastic. Uh, uh, I was just picking up. I, was, I think I just heard you were talking about Gallagher. Uh, I was going to mention him particularly. I thought it was, he was he was as effective as he was when he was playing for Palace against us. Actually, uh, yeah, he looked, yeah, he looked pretty good. Old, he? Uh, yeah. <laughs> In, yeah. uh, in the game there last season. Yeah, mm. and uh, yeah, I agree with that. And we were also mentioning um, that um, what really worked well was the, the Grosh Solly March scenario down the right-hand side, our, our right-hand side, and how ineffective their wing-backs were. That was the other main point. Um, any thoughts on that? Because they, they had a huge amount of space there, didn't they, to exploit Albion. And Solly March, uh, as Andy Kay was saying, uh, was... Well, the, the crowd were loving how much um, how much grief he was giving Cucurella. I think he was giving him more grief than we were. <laughs> uh, my 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 first impression really was uh, quite early on when we were taking them apart. Was if it was my I, I felt before the game, I was thinking if there's one manager who would know how to play against us and work it out, it would be him. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> He yeah, I, I mean, I, I was stunned that he didn't change the formation until yeah. till um, the second half. I really was. Yeah. So it was it was peculiar, really. So uh... yeah, it was it was a little odd. Um, but that was that was the first half anyway. I mean, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get on to talk about the second half now. So there were some just stuff... just before we do, we we what? haven't mentioned that we scored three goals in the first half. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot we, about we that. You mentioned the first goal. <laughs> Um, yeah, we but, alluded um, to the no goals. We didn't have to describe also them. Don- donated a couple to us, yeah. or contributed we, towards a couple. Yeah, we we had us. those two clearances off the line. We had the first goal. We carried on putting pressure on. Uh, I think there was another chance, wasn't there, afterwards of, of some description. Uh, and we, uh, the ball was just down one end for most of it. Chelsea looked maybe threatening when they're on the ball at the other end, but predominantly it was all going down their end. We had the majority of the possession and all the rest of it, and we carried on creating chances. And that second goal uh, was a cracker, really. I think we built from the back. We had four or five in a line in quite a deep position. You're Played talking ball. about the third goal, I think. Is that the third? No, yes, sorry, I am talking about the third goal, yes. The second goal was, of course, from the corner. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. An excellent finish from an ex-Palace Sloney, um, Loftus-Cheek. Delighted to see him get on the score sheet. <laughs> um, to be fair to both him and Chalaber with the third goal, I think they had to intervene because there was a player behind in a dangerous position, not very well marked beyond um, what that individual conceding the own goal was doing himself. Um, I don't think there was as much they could have done about it, which is the beauty of it. Um the, the corner comes in straight off his kind of the top of his knee or the bottom of his thigh, straight in off the crossbar. Beautiful goal. <laughs> you enjoy that, Andy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but it's like buses, isn't it? You, you wait forever for an own goal, and there's you know so many games where we've finished up with no goals and a deflection. Um, da da da. You know something could have gone our way. Last time it happened, I think, was against Palace, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And not much has happened besides. As you said, it's the cliche about the buses, isn't it? And, yeah, it just all fell into place. It was yeah, just but the, I mean, but you're, you're quite right. If you, you want to move on to the third goal, 
the the move was something else for that. That was absolutely brilliant. And and the ball from Casado. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this this is where I thought Mitterrand was effective because he, he brought the yeah, as I said, we had the four or five players building it from the back and a, a line almost like a rugby line. And then we played it out over cross to the left side. Mitterrand gets on the ball, runs with it a fair bit. Estepinian initially stays behind him. He's, he's a bit behind the play. And I think Chelsea kind of relaxed into it a bit. The ball got laid back, as you said. Uh, Casado then plays the ball forward, by which time Estepinian started running around the, around the side. And he gets in behind them on the left hand, attacking uh, flat flank and, um, and cuts the ball across. And Mittermer is re-arriving in the box in a threatening position. Chalaba's got a sticker leg out. Maybe he could have done better with that intervention, possibly, arguably. He might look at it and think so. Maybe his teammates will. But um, Mittermer was in a dangerous position. He may not have had an open goal, but he had a good chance to finish one-on-one with the goalie in close quarters if Chalaba hadn't intervened. And he did and put the ball nicely into the goal. <laughs> I mean, the, the only thing that I'll add to that is I think we had six players in the box. Yeah, the we did. Everyone went flooding forward. Yeah. And that is is something about deserving. Yeah. It's so exciting, isn't it? Yeah. I do I do think in the course of time, we and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, many times in the future. I do think in the course of time assuming things carry on in the happy trajectory that they're starting to now, that um, he will be better over time because it'll be as entertaining, hopefully as successful, uh, but, but just better, even better football. Yeah, uh, but, I mean, the, the problem with that um, is I, I'm not entirely sure that we did just batter them in the, the first half. To me, it was a really open game. Yeah, we, we were yeah. ascendant, but only slightly ascendant we took our chances we created better chances um created better openings than that them but the the way deserve plays seems to work extremely well against teams that will come at us yeah. whereas you go, back to the, you, you go back to the forest game um and mm. it didn't work um it's been a problem a long time for us hasn't it let's be yeah. honest it's not it's not a new thing that we struggle to break yeah. teams down. Well, that's true, but I do think I don't think we finished well enough against Forest. We should have taken a couple of chances in that game, and that's a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, how many times have we said that over the last? Yeah. Season? Well, yeah, but but in terms of that's not uh, Deserby's tactics not working. No. We are creating those chances, um, albeit not as many as Chelsea, the Chelsea game or the yeah. Liverpool game. But, but then, yeah. I mean, there's there's the issue. We we need to create more chances than Man City do, for instance, because our finishing isn't as good as theirs. Yeah, and that's going to be quite. Do you think we've got to match Harlem then, Andy? No, I I don't think we we've, we've got. A, a, I don't think Solly March or Danny Welbeck finishes quite. Well. <laughs> <laughs> But if you if you get this amount of confidence building up, maybe Solly finally starts to be able to find his range with shooting. Who knows? Who knows? That the other thing is we haven't had a defender score this season. We need to start, you know, kind of from what I heard, the corners were much more dangerous this week, at the weekend. Yeah. Oh, they, got the, the, corner, the corners were brilliant. The corners yeah. were absolutely brilliant. Uh, so that's been something that's been worked on, presumably on the training ground over yeah, the last couple of weeks, particularly this week. Pascal didn't take any of them. No. Um, and what was noticeable was that they were really hit hard, pace, whipped in. Um, and there was one instance in the first half from the, um, one on our left. So McAllister took it um, and Webster ended up getting his head on it, not f- far away from the six-yard box, with one of those ones where he ca- he ran from um, 
behind the post, behind the goal frame to where McAllister was. Um, and he, he ran towards the goal and got his head on the ball. Um, yeah. Um, for the first time in a long time, I'd say really encouraging corners. Yeah, I know that that's an extra bonus, and I think other things will get worked on. Over there's also time. the argument that if, I think I read somewhere that right, it's better to have Brush in the area anyway because he's one of our better players in terms of actually taking chances. So if the ball bounces in the box, he's one of the ones you actually wanted to bounce to. So having him out taking corners, however good he is, actually to be a waste in terms of whereas say Solly, for example, yeah, it's yeah not you know it's not as good at that. So maybe having Brush in the area is going to help us in that sense as well. We'll get to the fourth goal later, but of course, Gross did finish the chance. And we arguably should have had that laid on for him sooner than it was, but um, he did finish it off eventually um, when he got this chance. And um, he's the first player other than Trossard to score under Deserby. Um, Deserby's first win, of course. Trossard well, scored. Og, Og scored a couple. Yeah, Og, yeah, Og, Og was quite good, to be fair. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the rumour is Chelsea are now targeting Og, aren't they? Like, kind of... <laughs> that's a great meme, wasn't there, yeah. with all the Google searches by um, Bowley, including uh, mm-hmm. how do we sign Og? And can't, can't we just buy Brighton? <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> There's so many good memes. It's brilliant. It's great. I've absolutely I think he tried to buy Brighton, didn't he? And then uh, Bloom turned him down. And that's why he's just taking his revenge now by basically just taking us one bit one by one. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Well, I mean, something needed to change. As you said, they changed it at half time, And they definitely firmed up what they were doing more. They definitely had more effect in the second half. They got the early goal. They'd substituted the goalkeeper at halftime, which is obviously because of an injury. So, um, so Kepa comes off, Mendy comes on. Even when Kepa's injured and he's talking about being injured, there seemed to be a lot of a flap. You know, he, he's the guy who refused to come off once, wasn't he, as a substitute goalie? It seems there's a lot more fuss than necessary about his. Well, not, not only did he refuse to come off, during penalties, wasn't it? Four yeah. penalties was taken. Was it just coming yeah. off? Yeah. And I mean, he, he's yeah. hugely improved under Ben Roberts, dare I say, but. He's injured now. Mendy came on for him on half time. Uh, the other subs, by the way, they put Chilwell on for Kukurea, but not till the 64th minute. And I think there was a lot of question marks from Chelsea fans about why Chilwell didn't start the game, particularly if they're playing in a wingback system. Um, that was that was a curiosity. Um, just before that, Aubameyang came on, and later on, Broya and Ziek. Um, but anyway, in terms of um, yeah, they changed it up at half time. They got the early goal. I think it was three minutes into the second half. Um, as we mentioned, really good cross from Conor Gallagher and um, and just buried by habits. Uh, can, I just, can I just say something about that? Yeah. On Twitter, on Twitter um, there's there's quite a lot of uh, Brighton fans who think that, that Webster's having an appalling season. It's not something I kind of subscribe to, subscribe to at all myself, but um, I just wonder what people, well, having watched it re- replayed a bit, I wondered whether that was just a really good cross and clever movement off the ball or Webster had lost his man a bit really and was in no man's land, which he does. He does occasionally find himself in those positions. I just wonder what other people thought. I, I think probably 60% that's Webster's fault, I would say, something like that personally. But what, what, what does other people think? I mean, uh, Peter, um, I, I, I agree with your sentiment, Andy. Um, uh, I don't really get uh, um, why... People are claiming that Webster's having a bad, bad season. Um, no. pe- people don't really seem to like him, whereas they really like Veltman. Um, uh, and I thought we actually looked a little bit better without Veltman because he's a little bit conservative in terms of his passing. Um, but I, I kind of disagree with you, Russell, 
in ter- it, it was just an amazing cross and a great header. The the goal actually, I think, was really similar to Rashford's goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could say I could agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I I think it was a brilliant cross and it was a great header. I'm not sure Webster could have stopped the goal. I'm not sure he's sixty percent to blame for it being a goal, but I think he sixty percent to blame for not making that tighter. I think he could have reacted a bit quicker, a bit sooner. He just looked slightly slower on his heels. Um, and that might have made a difference to put off Havertz. It may not have done. Um, but from an attacking point of view, great goal, to be fair. Um, Alan? Uh, yeah, we, we, yeah, I think we, we kind of talked about Gallagher earlier on. I mean, he was obviously involved in two chances in the first half with the, the shot, which was like, saved by uh, Sanchez. Then he had the header in the first half, uh, again, a very good, good attempt. And then he was, he provided the assist. He put, he was the one who put the cross in for Havertz to score. Beautiful, beautiful cross. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, Gallagher did it again. So, uh, yeah. He did his... <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I have a view that there's a tendency amongst, um, fans of all clubs of whenever we can see the goal. You need to find someone to blame. You, mm. you, 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 you can you can never just concede that. Yeah. Wow, that was. I a mean, manage, managers managers will say goals pretty much are you all exclusively avoidable, aren't they? They're, they're all yeah. avoidable. Um, maybe not the exact moment where it's conceded, but at some point along the line, they, they could go back all the way back to midfield and say, "Well, we shouldn't have given the ball away four minutes earlier." That eventually led to. Mm-hmm. This happening, that happening, this happening, and then going forwards. Uh, Peter, sorry, you can get in earlier. <laughs> You'd be I, I was going to say, I, I kind of, yeah, I can see where both sides of the story. I think he's not been maybe at his best at times this season. Yeah. Uh, but I think, if, for example, there are signs. Uh, yeah, I do agree with Andy that I think most people like Beltman. I also think most people love Dunk as well and won't blame Dunk. An example being that goal against Leicester when they scored their second goal. When, yeah, Webster gave it away with a silly pass. But then Dunk probably should have done better with the ball over the top. Yeah, I didn't see anyone blaming Dunk, really. Mm. But they did all seem to blame Webster. And also, mm. it was a brilliant ball as well. And I think probably that goal at the bottom last day is probably the same thing. That if you have a tendency to think Webster's struggling, you'll probably put some blame on him. Mm-hmm. Same with the goal against Brentford as well, because he let Tony in front of him. But actually, it was a really good finish. And as Andy was saying earlier, Superman gave it away as well. So... I think it's probably one of those where people, a bit like when Ryan was, you know, struggling a bit, people were saying, you know, people were using every goal to blame him. But actually, you know, a lot of the goals weren't ones he should have saved, but people were still saying, well, he should have done this or should have done that. And it's, yeah, I think, I don't think Webster's ever been hugely popular with fans for whatever reason. They've never quite warmed to him and and people just aren't going to blame Dunk for anything because he obviously does deserve, you know, he's been brilliant for us, but he still is, is you know, factually at fault for some goals and, he doesn't seem to get the same kind of level of, of like, kind of complaints that Webster does. You say. I wonder if it, it might be something to do with body language. Um, just something about yeah, you know, Dunk's kind of the get out and go, and he's just a local lad. And there's something about his persona. He looks like he's just putting the effort in and all that sort of thing. With Webster, I think he maybe looks like he's a bit unsure of himself in terms of just his actual demeanour, not in terms of what he's doing on the ball uh, or in his defending. Um, maybe it's some subtleties of body language that pe- people pick up on and don't don't warm to I'm, I don't have a problem with him personally I, I think he's great I, I agree with you Peter he's maybe not been as at his best this season so far but I don't think he's having a mayor or anything like that for sure um, Andy B let's go back to you yeah so so on that um more so since uh deserve has been in so to deserve the way he plays he puts a lot more pressure on his center halves to do something with the ball yeah 
You know, yeah. and that's not easy to do. Now, out of those three centre-halves, Webster is by far the best footballer of bringing the ball out, in my opinion. They're all, they're all okay, but he's by far the best. And he's taking more chances than a lot of them and the others. And, and you know, when he's coming with the ball, sometimes he's, he's overstretching because he's trying to make, he's trying to do, I think, what the manager's asking him to do. And then I think sometimes he has got caught out and he's lost the ball. So then the crowd are on his back a little bit, or some people are. Um, but I think, well, that's what I think the manager wants him to do. He wants him to take those chances and those risks. And actually, he is probably the best of the three at it. Um, and then I, and just, just occasionally, I just, it's hard to tell because even in the, the goal on Saturday, unless you can see the tape back and you can see where he was or who was supposed to be marking the guy who scores the goal, was it a, a clever move away? Was, was he, was he, um, was Webster drawn towards, um, the middle more it's hard to really tell but just very occasionally I just feel like he it's almost like he's he's kind of gone for something and and then he's kind of stopped and then he's like he's not with the player but he's not going to stop the ball either and when mm. I say that I'm talking about once every probably 10 15 20 games and sometimes you just have to say maybe you're just playing against really good players and occasionally they do you you know whoever however good you are you know I mean I, like, I, look I, at Van Dyke Van Dyke's having a I think he's having a very average season, Van Dyke. Whereas, yeah. like last year, it looked like no one was ever going to get past him. My, you know, most, criticism, most, most criticisms of Webster, I, I just don't get really. But I think that's a really fair assessment. Um, not just what you've said there, but what you said earlier, which is that occasionally he gets lost, um, and he's he's not quite sure of himself um, where where he is, where those people are around him, and he kind of makes mistakes and. and I think that might be the point that you were saying, Russell, about him just not getting quite close enough to um, mm. have it. Yeah. I, I'm actually just having a look at the move again on, on, on the computer screen. And actually, when you look at it, uh, it basically Webster's covering Havertz. Havertz kind of makes a move behind him. But the problem is Dunk does, Dunk or Estupian doesn't actually track Sterling who comes in. So basically Webster's looking at Sterling who's running in free inside the box. So I think Webster hesitated for a moment thinking, hang on a second, I may have to uh, pick up uh, Sterling and which meant that basically Havertz was free, free behind him and Gallagher obviously played a, a pinpoint cross across and, and planted straight on his head. So. Yeah, I think uh, maybe uh, maybe there was other people who were involved in that uh, yeah. um, goal really on their side. Mm. Yeah, back up Andy B's point about his distribution. That goal against Liverpool, the third goal, was down to him. He started that move by beating Salah on the uh, to the boat, so taking it past him and opening up play again by encouraging Salah in, then walking round him and and playing a good ball up to was it Welbeck initially or someone like that. That was him starting that move, which is what. They were talking about beforehand as Zerbi wants. He wants to encourage players on to. And as Andy says, that's going to end up with more errors because you're trying to get players nearer to you than you did before. It's, it's inevitable that you're going to make more errors, but you're also going to make... The key is that when we do break through then, we do need to be quicker. And I, I think one or two games like Brentford, maybe we felt like maybe when, once we got through, we weren't that quick. Whereas it sounds like Saturday and Liverpool definitely, for example, we were very quick once we got past them. And obviously it's going to take time to... You know, develop everything under Deserby, but it's you know it's encouraging if we can you know kind of make use of that space, then you know and, and then players like Webster will be very key because he's the one who's going to have the ability to go past players and like kind of like pull them in and yeah open up the space a bit. 
Yeah. I thought one thing that's interesting about Deserve is that because it was even on your podcast, there's a few there's a few fans already who kind of wonder if he's a one trick pony, don't they? He's got this way of playing and that's it, and he can't do anything else. And someone was comparing that with Potter that would change things tactically during a game. So, um, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to be honest. I don't, I'm not, I'm not convinced that is what he's all about, but, um, I also think you've kind of got to let the man have probably really a full season with the squad. And, and probably also if he's allowed to bring in a few players that he would choose to see, you know, to see what, um, whether that continues next year or whether that trick he's got is so good that even when people know what he's going to, what you're going to do, they can't stop you, you know? Yeah. Alan. Yeah, I was just picking up with what you're saying, Abby. I mean, I, I was watching Deserby from the touchline when he's at the touchline. He is given a lot of instruction. And he's, very, he's very active on the in in the technical area, not just shouting and jumping around, but he's he's moving the players around. He's guiding them. He's whistling. He's uses he whistles them quite a lot. So I think he is trying to do different things, um, adjusting formations and adjusting people. He's not just sitting back in his seat watching. Uh, like some of like some of the other coaches do, um, and secondly, he needs time. I mean, he needs time uh, to to formulate his ideas. It's too early, really, I think. And maybe he needs one or two different players that he can work with as well. That he can play his formation. So yeah. I don't think I think it's too early, really, to make any judgment on that. Just a few observations. Side, really. Yeah, um, a few observations for me at this point um, to do with things off the pitch or, or out of the actual match play. Um, first of all, um, it wasn't picked up by the TV cameras, and I went to batshit mental to to see it firsthand at the stadium. But Zerbi apparently ran miles onto the pitch to celebrate when we scored the first goal. Which is well, he, he he got told off by the referee afterwards. Yeah. He got spoken to by the ref. Yeah, so, so I've since discovered. Yeah, but um, I mean that that was great. Again, it, this is the whole. Uh, opposites, isn't it, between Potter and Deserby? You've got Potter's very uh, conservative with his press conferences and all of his general demeanour. You know, a bit of passion behind the scenes, the fist bumps in the latter days with us and all that stuff. But Deserby's out there already. He's doing he's doing the Anfield shuffle. He's he's on the pitch. We shouldn't be celebrating goals. Um, his his press conferences. He's not holding back in terms of just saying where he thinks we were fantastic uh, and we, we deserve something more from a game. Um, he's he is dropping in allusions to criticisms of officials. Um, the things that Putin actually, as well as Potter, didn't do. Um, so it's, it's a breath of fresh air for those that prefer the more animated style of Gus Poyet from a few years back. Um, and I think it's good value. I think it, we're, we're about ready for a different, slightly more lively character in that regard. Another thing that happened off the pitch, which I forgot to mention, half-time, uh, and I didn't see this because I popped off um, for, to sort of meet up with friends in the in the concourse, but um, apparently at half-time, Ben Roberts uh, chose to warm up Mendy, of course, he was coming on for half-time because of the injury, uh, which is fair enough, but he decided to do that at the North goal, and I'm wondering if that was advisable. Uh, he got absolute dog's abuse, by all accounts. Um, from... Well, yeah, I mean, you you can understand probably why he did it and it's mm. because um, Mendy would be defending up that end. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah. But apparently he waved at the fans afterwards in the <laughs> North Stand uh, and he was uh, given appropriate different signage. Yes, indeed. And, and of course what also <laughs> happened in that second half, we mentioned Kukureya came off uh, midway through 
Uh, and he came, of course, you come come off by the nearest point. So he came off and walked right the way around the north stand, the northwest, down the west side, and he got dogs abuse as well. Uh, quite frankly, I felt I didn't particularly join in with that at the time. Um, I don't think <laughs> caught, caught up in the excitement. I can't really remember, <laughs> um, but I know a lot of people did. And I think there's that a bit harsh. He was our player of our season. Seems a nice guy. All the other stuff. But when all said and done. He did engineer a move. He, he, asked, he put a transfer request in in the summer. He left after one season. He left for more money and, yeah, for greater riches of trophies perhaps as well. But it's fair game, isn't it, in the end? If people want to, I don't have an issue with it. Peter might have. I don't know. He's got his no, I, I think Cucurello probably deserved it more than anyone else, in all honesty. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we got player of the year last year, claimed to be loving it at the club, and then the minute of any interest. And the way, he, yeah, his agent was talking through or now what he's like, Twitter record sources, all you ever heard was like, Cucurella wants out, Cucurella wants to go to Man City, his dream move. And then yeah. a week later, he goes to Chelsea. It was all absolute bollocks. And yeah, if you if you play like, if you do that, behave like that, you deserve what you get as far as I'm concerned. He was great for us for one season. But yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't have booed him because I'm not, I don't tend to, I certainly wouldn't have applauded him. But it, yeah, he deserved. Yeah, if, I'm not going to complain if people boo the player, especially when he seemed like he reacted to it like Dan Harding did. Yes, <laughs> he so, we totally pretty, collapsed in two different yeah. games, didn't we? Leads away and someone at home as well. Um, Andy B, I, don't, I know you went up the game, but what, what yeah, you... well, there's just too much. There was too much going on for it to be anything else, really, wasn't there? I mean, a yeah. Win Stanley, Win the Win Stanley news during the week, just like I mean, anyone who thought, no, I'm going to be a bit more respectful, I think that just went out the window after that. Yeah. Well, so I think he, you know he just got caught so up he... in it. And I think there was too much for, for uh, you know, people were just not going to be measured. I mean, I, the other week I was a bit disappointed when people booed off Basuma because I'm not really sure what he did, that, that, you know, to get, get that reaction. But it was inevitable. If you're going to boo off Basuma, then you're definitely going to be booing everything about exactly. Chelsea, aren't you? Exactly. And just on the manager's front. booed off Basuma, I think, in fairness. I didn't hear many. Yeah, but there was, a, there was enough. I mean, it doesn't need many, does it? That's the, I just don't understand <laughs> it. But anyway, that's another sign. But I, I, in terms I, of the I, managers... In terms of the managers, I actually, in terms of a home crowd, not the away crowd, in terms of the home crowd, I don't actually think Pot has ever particularly warmed to us, particularly liked us. And in some ways, I don't blame him, actually. But um, already with Deserby, I think he already shows us a lot more love. He, he talks a little bit like Oscar Garcia. I remember Oscar Garcia's, one of his first quotes was, football's nothing without the fans. And we love it. We love things like that. We want to hear that. And Deserby's got a little bit of that about him. I don't know if that's that Latin temp. From a, yeah, you know, that, he's that not going to go like, little claps there. here. Well done, well done. There is he. You know, like he's him and Conti. I mean, like they're two peas from the same pod. You know, I mean, you see Conti with these players. He's like he points here, go there, go there. And I'm thinking, these are highly paid professionals. Surely they know by now yeah. how they how you want them to close the ball down and press the ball. But I don't think he can help it. And I think Deserby's the same. When he's out there in the moment, he can't help himself. You could see- most fans, most fans are going to love that. Yeah, exactly. You could see I how much he was loving the atmosphere of the game, and who wouldn't, obviously. But, yeah. you know, his eyes were sort of bulging with excited emotion uh, as he yeah. was seeing the reaction, particularly after the game, but obviously during the game as well. And, you know, we're going to feed off each other. I agree with you. I don't think Graham Potter ever really warmed to us. I think he was happy in the job, happy with the employers and all the other stuff, and he was making progress. But I'm, it always felt like there was an emotional detachment even later on with the, you know, the fist pumps, it was kind of, you know, it's more, more nonchalant than passionate, if you know what I mean. Uh, it's kind of a knowing nonchalance to it, which is fine if that's his style. But I think people will, will warm to Deserby more and he'll warm more to us. Andy Kay? 
Yeah, um, I just thought I might intervene because there's an awful lot of ramblage going on on the 250th. <laughs> well, thank edition. you. And um, I, I think some other issues might want to be addressed. Indeed. Um, we've, we've got... Your intention was to address um, Absolutely. some Indeed. issues. Uh, um, yeah, so my final thoughts on the rest of the game is not an awful lot happened uh, no. up until we scored, but we certainly do need to mention uh, in CISO's um, first um, debut in the Premier League, who yeah. was really, really exciting. Um, and he's got a shot like a traction engine. Um, he was a little bit selfish. Um, but yeah, first, I mean, it, it was a really, bold, I mean, if you had a look at the bench, which we didn't mention, lots and lots of youngsters on the bench. Yeah. Um, which I think is indicative of the current state of our squad, actually. Yeah, um, Welbeck was out, Undav wasn't on there, and um, obviously... No, Undav no... was on, on the bench. Oh, was he? Yeah, he was, yeah. 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 Oh, OK, I must have missed yeah. that, sorry, yeah. OK, so he was on the bench, but um, we had, um, yeah, I mean, the likes of Enciso, Sarmiento, who came on as well, and of course... Yeah, but um, I, I thought it was really bold of De Zerbi, <laughs> um to bring him on after about 60 minutes when it was 3-1, yeah. And yeah. he brought um, Sarmiento on with five or ten minutes to go as well. Yeah. Um, and we had we yeah, had Moran, Furlong and to- Turns are the, are the youngsters you're talking about on the bench. Um, and for what it's worth, well, Gilmore as well. I mean, yeah, Gilmore's a youngster, as is Sarmiento and, his, and Ciso um, yeah. as well. Okay. Uh, just, on, just on Encisco, because um, obviously I was listening to the, obviously the, by then I'm in a car going to London and um, it's a long story and um, I'm listening to um, Johnny Cantor and, that, and there was actually a bit of criticism of him on the radio about how he wasn't, um, he was, wasn't holding the ball up and he was being a bit wasteful with the ball. So it was quite interesting comparing those comments with, with people who, who have, I've, you know, I've read and, 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 and heard speak who watched the game and were like really um, encouraged um, by his performance when he came on. Hmm. It almost yeah. came over like, he, you know, you know, he was kind of a bit, um, he was just giving, giving the ball away too easily. And I don't know whether that was because we were kind of, you know, you're in that last sort of 20, 15, 20 minutes and you, even the commentators get a little bit panicked, don't they? Because they want to write and win. He, he, he did are. give the ball away a few times, but he, he also did things. He also mm. shot, um, you know, from 28 yards out at an opportunity. Um, the, yeah. the fourth goal, which we probably need to come on to, he shot twice. Um, right foot, then left foot when he got the ball. Yeah. Both yeah. on target. Which yeah, is, which yeah, all, all three. Good start. Good start. You don't score unless it's an own goal. You have to score if it's on target. Yeah, I think, I think we had 19 shots, seven on target, something like that in the game, or not nine on target, something yeah. like that. Um, he could have squared it the second time for Grosh. That would have probably been the better move. Given, but that's, but that's something you could what? teach someone, isn't it? Though he's yeah. 18 and he's, you know, it's, it's the raw ability. I mean, it's interesting that you know, obviously, we're talking about his debut, given we're allegedly set to sign. Facundo Buenanotto, not Buenanotte, what his name is today, um, from who's not 18, he's another Argentinian talent <coughs> now, and he's like another South American that we're bringing in, and he's not 18 until December, looking at how old he is. I think he's only 18, Sarmiento's 20 or something like that. We seem to be definitely bringing in a lot of uh, exciting flair Argent- no, South American players. You know, I remember the day when our flair Argentinian was uh, Torienzo. <laughs> we all know how, that, how well that went. 
Let's not so talk about that, please. All I was going to say was, looking at the bench on Saturday, I think we will probably bring in two or three more in yeah. January. I think there's, there's link to an Argent, uh, to a Ukrainian defender already. I wonder whether we'll look again at the striker. We've got money in the bank, actually. Another 20 odd million from Potter, basically, as well. Yeah. I wonder whether we're, we're, we, you know, we'll be looking quite who's going to be looking at this beyond me because I mean, when Stanley allegedly is off to, uh, <laughs> is off to Chelsea along with everyone yeah. else. Yeah. Um, whether we'll maybe lose one or two as well, conceivably. But I think Trossard obviously depends on whether he signs a new deal or not because otherwise we're entering, if he, if he tells the club he's not going to sign a new deal, we're entering the last 18 months. If we're relatively safe, you know, we do, we're doing okay by mid-January. Do we say, well, maybe we sell him now and no. get more money for him no now chance. rather than wait until the summer? There's absolutely no chance of Blue will let him go in January. Relatively safe, and and we yeah. you know we'll potentially get a lot less in not till the summer, Peter. I don't think not till the summer because yeah. we'd have the year's extension, as we all know, and and that would give us at least the opportunity yeah. to still move but the you, you potentially getting thirty million compared to fifty or something like that. That's quite a big difference. Yeah, but how many how many positions in the table might he make yeah. different yeah. to in terms of how many goals he scored and how many points he's gained us um positions in table two million roughly per position maybe it's, it's not so much worth not not the risk especially if we managed for example to get into europe and that was somehow yeah. lucrative for us as well then maybe but the, just a final word on the game itself goal celebration grosh scores goes into the northwest corner does a, a chop arm kind of that's it game over it's finished i think he mails as he does it great celebration um and what a wonderful way to finish the game. I think we nearly had a chance to score again, didn't we, after that? But um, all, all the same, 4-1. We've not just beaten them for the first time in the league in our history. Second time ever, I think it is, after some game in the Cup in the 30s. But um, we thrashed them 4-1. And wasn't that great? The atmosphere we talked about, right, let's get on to that. Um, because there's been a lot of reaction to that. Um, some of it fair, some of it ridiculous. Um, essentially, um, obviously, they were asked about it after the game. Um, Graham Potter said that he doesn't have anything to apologise for. He's right, but we don't have anything to apologise for if we want to boo, do we, Peter? And no one asked him to apologise as well. It's completely exactly. It's another Graham we... Potter quote, like the Leeds one about the, the boos and that sort of thing. That's And that's one of the reasons, and Andy's going to definitely disagree with me on this, but quotes like that are one of the reasons that a lot of fans never really, especially the home fans, never really kind of took to him, I think. I'm really not going to disagree with you on that. <laughs> I, I'll disagree with you on all sorts of other things. Well, well the, um, the um, yeah, I agree. I think he, he's got this sort of snippy way of saying things that he almost tries to portray as, as you know, it doesn't really matter, but I'll just say this. And I think that gets under people's skin. Yeah, and then um, you get the media all quoting that and going like, Brighton are demanding an apology almost from Graham Potter and it's ridiculous and all that. And it's like, we, we ne- no one ever said that, but that doesn't mean we can't boo it. People can't boo him because yeah. he basically kind of completely decimated our backroom stuff and took people who've been at the club for a long time as well as his own people. Yeah. This like, is what people don't seem to understand. I don't understand why they don't understand it. The, 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 the cheap end of the media, I think, if you can call it that, the non-kind of long-form written media, <coughs> people like the pundits, particularly the bad ones, um, but some people should know better, radio presenters. There was a whole debate on talk sport. Um, you had, I don't listen to talk sport except for the Hawksby and Jacobs show as a podcast, and I can't stand Andy Jacobs. I think he's a pompous twat. He's a Chelsea fan who, who's like a lot of Chelsea fans who feel very entitled. They're moany and they, they're dismissive. They didn't mention how well we played. 
he just said, oh, we just didn't turn up and we're rubbish. But he said when there was this jokey bit about who, who's kind of like in the Captain Pugwash barrel of the week, which is to, who's been on the naughty step, basically, he said the Brighton fans have to go in there for showing a complete lack of class and a complete lack of appreciation for Graham Potter and what he's done. He he dragged dragged them up from nowhere. Well, Andy Jacobs, you have absolutely no class, not only because of your choice of football club, but for the way you portray yourself uh, about that football club, you're an absolute disgrace in that regard. And you are in no position with the club you support and some of the fans they've got to criticise our fans when you don't know anything about it. You don't know enough about it. Even people people like Hugh uh, Wolfencroft, I think his name is, who presents the EFL highlights, amongst others, on ITV and used to be a sports um, news reader on BBC back in the day. He's on a podcast called uh, The Game with, I've forgotten who else it is, uh, with him. And he was talking about it. And he went into, to be fair, he went into a lot of detail and went, okay, the booing seemed over the top. It seemed unfair. And he was saying that they did take an extra couple of people. So he did understand at least it wasn't just about Graham Potter taking his own people away, which is what this idiot Jacob said. Um, at least, um, at least Wilsoncroft is reasonable, but he still didn't quite understand it. And I think, well, it's not just that. They've taken two of our youth players. They've taken two of our youth coaches. They've, they've, they've come in for Win Stanley. They've taken two very, very valued, long-term, highly regarded, and in the case of Bruno, cult hero uh, members of staff as well. Now, those people are entitled to go. Of course they are. Um, Graham Potter's entitled to think, oh, that'd be good to work with in the longer term. Happy to take them along with me. But you cannot... Um, the, the the Chelsea staff who were booed on the on the day of the game seemed to be a bit nonplussed by quite how the reaction was. And yes, it may have been less than that, but they can't be taken about that far. They've stripped the club out. They've taken about nine members of staff away, and they're coming back for more. And they, uh, you can understand Graham Potter leaving, even though the timing's annoying and whatever else. He didn't choose the timing anyway. To be fair. You can understand his interest in taking other members of staff, but to take that many in a season, during a season, um, when, you know, Bruno would have been the bloody interim manager, for God's sake, if he hadn't been taken, um, that's way too far to go, way too far to go. And I'm getting to, to really hate Todd Bowley. And to be honest with you, I don't know what part Graham Potter had to play in this, but if he's had any part to do with the the wider asset stripping, I know that's a, a loose term, not quite accurate, but the stripping out of the club, then he can shove it as well. Andy B, I think quite a few people want to react to that. Andy B, should we go first? You're riching. Well, two things. <laughs> the first thing was, I think the first Potter came in in a draw and the Chelsea fans were booing. So yeah. I don't know what that's all about. Why weren't and they the second, and, and the second point, the second point for me, like, let's face it, if we'd been Leeds United, they would have been going, oh, it's our style atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, for once we've got a hostile atmosphere and that has been used to our advantage in the game. It's what we've been lacking. Um, friend of the show, Warren, said, um, you know, we lack beef. It's good that we've got some beef here. Why not? You know, we, it's business. Graham Potter left to join Chelsea. It's business. You know, it's to better his career or whatever. Same with all the other staff. They'll all say the same thing. <clears throat> and to a point, of course, that's true. But that's just business. What we're doing as fans to get our club a win is just business. Exactly. Andy, I know you, you froze for a moment. I don't know if you caught that, but carry on with what you were saying anyway. No, I mean, that was it, really. I was just just to basically, like, you know, that's the only thing that we could do was create a hostile environment, and that's did it. Yeah. Yeah. Peter? Yeah, it might, might take a minute or two. Um, so, <laughs> so two other people stood out media-wise. 
Jamie O'Hara here, like getting booed by Albion fans when playing here for playing at the Amex for Wolves and being an Albion fan telling him he's not fit to wear the shirt. So clearly doesn't have an agenda against us, <laughs> patronising our fans. And also Garth Crooks, who is always a favourite of Albion oh, fans. Gosh. Somehow put one Albion player in his team of the week compared to three Man City players after they stuffed Leicester 1-0. And, uh, and, and in doing so, spent one paragraph about Trossard sagging off Brighton fans and their reaction to Potter and the other half talking about Trossard and how he's going to move soon. And it's like, I think there's a general view from the British media, especially the, the, the lower end of it and the, the idiots, is that any club who's not the big six shouldn't have any ambition, should just accept their place. And if fans complain, e.g., you know, the, the, the few boos about, you know, against Leeds when, you know, no one mentions, as has been said before, that Man U booed uh, Ten Hag half-time of their first game of the season. West Ham fans booed Moyes after three games of the season this season when we played there. Nobody mentions that at all. But like 30 or 40 people are still being brought up. Oh, yeah, Brighton deserved Potter to leave because they booed him when he was there and that sort of thing. And it's like, because we're not a historic club and we're not big six and what, we shouldn't have any ambition. We shouldn't. It was the same when Hewton left as well. When Hewton left, they were like, well, well he's, done, he's done his job. You know, I can't believe Brighton, you know, kind of, you know, kind of had the temerity to sack Hewton. It's like, well, you weren't there the last, you know, six months watching us lose. All but two, you know, two games we won in the half. Last and they were busy criticising our style of play yeah. just before they got sacked. And then, and then when we sacked the manager, we're accused, well, but in some courses, we're accused of racism, effectively, almost. Yeah. And in other courses, we're basically accused of having, you know, not knowing our place and Brighton shouldn't have any ambition rather than being bottom five. Then we, we do that and, you know, and Potter, I mean, this is where Andy is going to disagree with me. In essence, we have been a bottom six club <laughs> two and three quarter years under Potter. Yes, we had a few times up a, a bit higher than that. But most of that time, we were bottom six. It, I mean, that is actually a fact. And Andy's put his hand up already. Um, <laughs> it's only it's a shame after only 15 games of it really coming together, whether or not you think the, the style of play was great or not. Results really improved those 15 games. It's a real shame that it, it was so soon after that happened that we were well, not back so annoying, to square one, but we, we lost like such a big core of our, of our staff. And it's, yeah, and I mean, hopefully Deserby now he's got the win, we'll, we'll kind of get the momentum from that for the next couple and then, and then have a chance to build at the World Cup. Yeah, it's, the, World it's, Cup. The, it's the early mid-season um, unfinished business, business element as well yeah. that's partly so annoying that he was happy to jump ship mid-season. But anyway, Andy Kay, you clearly want yeah. to respond to that. But, well, I mean, I, I want to respond to lots of things. Yeah, <laughs> Russell, you've already said that the timing wasn't of his own volition. Yeah. Peter will say that he'd jump ship at the first opportunity. Well, or both those things. The timing... <laughs> Look, the, um, the presentation of the scenario was not his doing, but his decision to go is. I don't begrudge him going, but don't take everyone with you apart from your own guys, was my view. But anyway, go over well, to you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've heard you say, well, um, what do I want to say? Um, I, I still like Potter. Um, uh, I think he will probably um, not last very long at Chelsea. I mean, I, I've said this already. Um I completely disagree with Peter about all this. It only came together in the last 15 games. Um, I think he did an amazing job for us, and that's why I really like him. Um, and also, I really like Deserby. I'm, I'm really excited about his tenure, and I hope it lasts for three years or, or whatever. But when, um, you know, what Potter said in that interview afterwards, I, I kind of agreed with all of it, really. He inherit, inherited um, a squad that was on the verge of going down. Yeah. Um, 
He said fourth uh, in the table, third worst team, didn't he? I think, which yeah. is probably about. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know, yeah. quite know how he, he worked that out, and no. it still remains the case that you know our the the amount that we spend is in the bottom five or six. So Peter said that. He didn't elevate us. What he did was completely transform the the squad such that we, uh, um, last season we finished ninth with the highest points total and the highest position. And both of those are facts as well. When he left, we were in fourth position. That's the fact as well. And he also said that he made an awful lot of money for us, um, including the 20 million that odd that we got for his staff going um yeah. all of those are facts really yeah anything anything about facts is is what's the most significant so um you know I, I i don't really begrudge potter when it comes down to it um yeah it's annoying for us but that's the way of things and um the one thing that's quite unusual about potter is um you don't get many um managers moving from one Premier League club to another Premier League club. And mm. I, I think that's one of the things that's most surprising about this. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I think that the atmosphere was, uh, was amazing. Um, but I am going to say this. I, I think the booing of Bruno was a disgrace. Um, and I've got no problem with Bruno. He was offered the opportunity to, go there to further his career who knows what what would have happened with Bruno under Deserby I don't begrudge him but um yeah um I I really don't like the fact that Bruno was booed because uh, he remains um probably the favorite player and my favorite personality um yeah. at the club We'll go to we're going to go to um, Andy B and then to Anna. But just before we do, could I say I agree that I felt distinctly uncomfortable with the booing of Bruno in its own right because you know it's an opportunity for him in the end. There is the once a seagull, always a seagull thing, but that could mean just in his heart doesn't have to literally mean uh, as an employee. That, that doesn't mean that he needs to spend the next fifty years. Yeah, exactly, that's true. As a, as a club mascot, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So I do think that's a bit. Yeah, I, I felt bad when I heard he, he was in tears apparently after the game. By all accounts, so was Kukurea, but that's as we as we know is a different thing. But um, but yeah, I mean that that was particularly vigorous and a, by all accounts aggressive in some quarters as well. Um, I don't mean violent, but it was just um, it was it was all, all a bit too enthusiastically done by the sounds of it. I, it's more of a collective thing as far as I'm concerned in terms of losing Bruno, losing Roberts, losing Win Stanley, as we're likely to do, losing these youth coaches, all of that. That's that's more, much more to it. But so yeah, just, Andy... just 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 on that point, though. Yeah, this is the beast that we're in. I know, and I'm just surprised that the, there is this reaction. It just seems to be that um, lots and lots of Brighton fans have twigged that we're in this beast because it's yeah. happened to us. Probably, but also I think a lot of people already know that and are irked by the extent of one club coming in. Nobody likes that. I think you expect the big clubs to come in and take your assets of various descriptions um, in and outside of the pitch. But I think for one club to come in in such a short period of time as well, to keep doing so, even if they don't come in for any of our players from this point on, that to me is is a, a pretty offensive 
um, a position for Chelsea to have taken. I know they're just losing two of our best players last summer. I think it is just exactly that everyone the number sheer number that Chelsea then took afterwards. Yeah. It's lazy shit from a from a big club as well, isn't it? Bowley's coming. Yeah. In. So well, I mean, don't you think that we they they, they, they are lazy? Put the blame. They just, yeah. They've got lots of money and they just throw it around. And that's the beast. I know. I know. Put the blame. Put the blame with the owner. Put the blame with the owner. Yeah. He's so how do we vent that? How do we vent that frustration? The only time we well, can do it because you go at the club, then you go at the club. You know. I mean, I, my 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 view on Potter is that um, you know, if you if you were to, if you were to basically choose um the best manager I've seen at Brighton, and they had to have managed in the top division, then that's him. Oh yeah. Um, I think yeah. he he tactically he out outthought. A lot of the top managers. I mean, Tommy Tuchel. You could just see that Tommy Tuchel didn't have a clue what to do against him, and he just needs. He just needed to be with better players, and it would be proven that how good he. I think how good he really is. I think that. Um, I also think that um, you know that although we were a bottom six team under him, we promised that we could be higher, that we could get higher. I think also he, you know, he committed to playing a lot of young players when most managers wouldn't want to take that chance. I thought what he did with Sanchez, putting him in the team was really brave. I don't know many managers at that point in the season who would have done that. And and he and he's made better players. I think Solly March, I've said it before, when he played him at wing back, I think he rescued Solly March's Premier League career, basically, because mm. he looked like he was going the other way. And then he wasn't. On the flip side, you know, when he comes to us, where, where was Swansea? They finished 12th in the league. And he'd had to like get rid of a lot of players and bring other players in. We gave him an opportunity in the Premier League. He wouldn't be at Chelsea this quickly if he hadn't have come to us. He may have still been sort of struggling to get in the Premier League without us, other than maybe if he'd brought a team up himself. So I think he has a lot to thank to yeah, thank we, us for. And I'm sure when he sits down with Barber and he sits down I think when he sits down with Barber and he sits down with Bloom, he probably does thank them for it. I don't think um, it was, it's a hard watch. I only go to the home games once again for mostly for football and family reasons. I did get to the home games, but they have been a hard watch at times. But I'm one of these where I'll appreciate the fact that even if I'm not there, we're still winning away from home. And there are, there are questions about his ability to, you know, to to sometimes break down teams that are defensive. and, And that's certainly going to be the case with, with Chelsea, but you know he's got. In theory, he's got better players there, so he may have a better chance. And 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 he's English. He's an English coach, and he's in the top. He's managing the top six side. And I think we should, as a as you know, as as people, English people, we should be supportive of that idea. And even when he's gone there, you know, Gallagher's in the team. As we said, you know, look, there's three or four youngsters, the younger players that are in that team. You know, and that's not even his side yet. So he's he's kind of reproducing it there. So I don't um, personally, I don't have any problem with him. I just think it's the Chelsea owner, really. I think he's quite arrogant and just thinks that he can just buy us up and and that all of a sudden we're going to Brighton are going to be Chelsea. And I'm not sure it's going to be quite that straightforward, even if you do take a lot of our best people. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's what what was at the root of it. Um, long term, I don't have any issues with Grand Pod on putting things under the uh, you know just putting a line under it now as far we needed that to vent our spleen to Chelsea as a whole and that's what happened I think they underestimated the level of reaction I don't think fans such as Andy Kay such as yourself such as me don't appreciate what Potter's done he's been our best manager notwithstanding current one 
yet to be decided where he fits in. But notwithstanding him, I would say Graham Potter's the best manager we've had um, in our history, at least from anyone I can remember, um, because of what he's managed to do over a period of time. But he was given that time, which is what I suspect Peter might have been about to talk about. Yeah, he wouldn't have got those three and three years and four months at most, if not all other clubs, because it was a project we were working on. We saw the big picture from the off. He bought into that big picture. He knew it would take time. We knew it would take time. So we persevered through, what was it, an 11-game run without a win? Six defeats in a row. Six in a row. And yeah, that was paradoxically the same season we finished um, in the top nine. Um, But at certain points, that could have been going off the rails mistrusting owners well, there, there's, there's no paradox about it at all it just shows the idiocy of reacting to bad runs um and fans saying yeah. get the manager out and thankfully we've got an owner that doesn't subscribe to that nonsense but both yes. of those are exceptionally bad runs as well and one home win a year for three was it was it we won in three home games in a row in separate years at one point as yeah. well and you know, they, they, they weren't just, they were runs that a Watford manager would have lasted a month with. You yeah, know, and I'm not advocating Watford as a, as a business model, but it has to be said that they, you know, he did, he owes Albion a lot more than I think maybe Russ is right. Maybe he does go and say thank you to Barbara and that sort of thing. But the me, you think from the media that we'd done nothing for his career and he'd done everything for Albion. Well, and- okay, can I just interject? What the media say, I really don't give a toss about. I, I, I care far more about what other Albion fans say. Um, and, uh, um, you know, apparently Bloom went into him and said good luck pr- prior to the match. Um, note that there was also the friendly that was played between Brighton and Chelsea, which was probably an opportunity for Potter to say goodbye to the players yeah. and the coaching side. So um, I I would imagine, I mean, one thing that, and I'm not trying to say that um, I'm doing this and you lot aren't, because I'm really not trying to say this, but Bloom says that he can take the emotion out of business decisions. Hmm. And I suspect yeah. that he's probably done that. Um, it's part of his forte. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, but um, I think f- for me, there's no hard feelings longer term as much as there will be for some. But I think on that day, it needed to be what it was. And um, I don't think they should take offence by that, except, as you said, in the case of Bruno, because that seemed to be particularly vitriolic. And if that's the case, that is a disgrace as well. I agree. But um, yeah, uh, Peter again. Sorry. Yeah. It's a very quick, very quick question. Who leaked the Win Stanley stuff? So I think that probably, for a lot of people, as we were saying earlier, was the thing. Did yeah. Albion leak it no, quietly I, to, to get the atmosphere up at the weekend? I agree with you, and Maybe. it might be a load of bollocks. Yeah. yeah. Which, which is... Um, Possibly. Um, I suspect it isn't, but <laughs> it, everyone's talking as if it's a fait accompli, just yeah. like they're saying that, you know, Trossard's gone in January. Yeah. Who knows what will transpire? We've got to wrap up pretty pretty promptly, but um, just a couple of... I'm going to bomb through a few bits very, very quickly in a second. But, Alan, I haven't had a chance to get a word in edgewise for a while. <laughs> quickly, your take on that. I mean, what, what do you make of it? Uh, I, I agree with the two Andys, really. I mean, they said, articulated everything I wanted to say, really, generally, about Potter. Um, the only thing I would say is, uh, would, you, would you say that some of his comments, uh, his reaction, I mean, I don't think he needs to do it, a little bit passive aggressive, maybe, uh, in the way he's coming across. 
Because to me, he didn't need to defend himself, to be honest with you. It was for someone who's got this emotional intelligence degree or whatever. Hmm. Why did why did he need to to bite? Really, he didn't need to say anything personally. I don't think he needed to say it. Yeah, I'm I'm not so sure that he does emotions very well, actually. Uh, whereas no. Zerbi does. Uh, yeah, he, he he may you know he he is a little bit too detached. Um, yeah. hmm. uh, and I certainly agree that he could have worded himself better in that post match um, hmm. press conference. But he, it's not it's it's not really the kind of thing that winds me up. Whereas no. Um, it does with plenty of other people. Yeah, the thing is, the thing is, at the end of the day, if we, if we assume that he he wasn't talking to Bowley before the time when he was approached officially, then obviously he had to make a decision. And this is where I I a little bit upset with Potter because at the end of the day, you felt that he he bought into this project. So it was really bad timing. He, he had to make a decision, and basically. Uh, it's um, you feel sorry for Bruno because he was then put into a position of where he wanted to go, and that's basically tarnished his relationship with the, with our club because of it. Um, I did read somewhere one of the media people were saying that the word in the industry was that Potter had been offered two two jobs beforehand and turned them down. That was their kind of one of their justifications. To say, well, this is third time lucky. Um, and then finally, I wanted to say something about Jamie O'Hara because my opinion is his USP is actually is to be thick. So basically, <laughs> that's why that's why he's on talk sport. That's why he's there as a fun, fun character because he's, he's telling it well. <laughs> yeah. So I don't take any notice about what he has. Yeah. To can say, I can so. I just say that, that Andy Jacobs, who I ranted about Jamie O'Hara and um, Garth Crooks are all weapons grade idiots. They're complete and utter idiots. Crooks for a guy who played the game to a very good level. Why, why, why spend time with them? Why, why waste energy on people? I don't talk about something. I, I didn't read his stuff. Plenty of other things that we've Someone said about. it to me. Someone said it to me and said, well, this is what he said. And then I get wound up by it because the guy, for a guy who's so played to such a high level, the apparent lack of understanding of football is off the scale. It really is incredible. Um, anyway, that's that. Um, the press, the press media seem to be uh, much more in tune with what's, what's what's been going on more than the the radio shock jocks, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some very good journalists out there, and we, as I said, we're talking about the cheap end, really. Yeah, but um, the final thing I was going to do, just to wrap up with a couple of people on our WhatsApp group that said things. Richard Holberton, friend of the show, said this idea that most Brighton fans feel GP owes them an apology seems to have sprouted wings in the past few days, but I'm really not sure it's true. In the cold light of day, I'd say most accept or at least understand the commercial logic of accepting sixfold increase in pay, even if it does represent further dispiriting evidence of the huge gulf and wealth and resources of the Premier League, all of which, of course, makes it all the more deeply satisfying to thrash the rich neighbours, hence Saturday's jubilation. Crooks isn't the only one who doesn't seem to have grasped this nuance. Um, Andy Bass, friend of the show, said he agrees with that, and he doesn't owe us an apology, but he is free to make his own choices. That said, the nation... Uh, the notion, sorry, that we owe him at uh, one um, uh, or a hero's welcome for what he did is utterly ludicrous and patronising in the extreme. Um, and um, Jack Phillips, friend of the show as well, said he, um, that he feels like the I don't owe you any, any apology was the classic issue that he had with Potter at the Albion. He took something small and created a 
bigger thing about the fan base that isn't the case at all. It's the 20 goal striker talk is crazy or the history lesson comment uh, all over again. Uh, and Robin, friend of the show, said, I took satisfaction from this post-match interview because it showed we'd clearly got under his skin. So there's a few of the other comments we had there. But I think that pretty much wraps it up. The only other thing I was going to mention, I'm not sure we've mentioned it on the podcast yet. Um, I've I've lost track. But Alexis McAllister, amongst all this, signed a contract. Of, well, I think it was about a week ago now. Um, so that's great news. We hope Trossard and others will follow. But that that was really good to get his um, his name on the signature for what it's worth. Um, let's hope others follow. our most important player this year, I would say. Yeah. Oh, he's been brilliant, hasn't he, this year? Yeah, yeah but um, I, I I agree with you, Peter, on on that. But I will say that um, along with Trossard, the player that really challenged Estupinan for man of the match was Casado. And the last three oh. or four games, he has been immense, Amazing. brilliant. Casado's going to go on to be a, one of the best players in the world, in my view. I mean, he's only twenty, isn't he? It's yeah. quite scary. And he's still only played about twenty Premier League games. You think yeah. he'd been playing in the, in the in the league for years? stunning player also I mean Sanchez had a brilliant game didn't he and um, I think March as as we also mentioned already yeah well gentlemen thank you for joining us for this uh, well this gloaty and uh, ranty and jubilant (laughs) 250th episode we've beaten Chelsea 4-1 our first win against them we've cracked them all now the only team we haven't beaten in the current 19 I think other Premier League teams is Forest and we've only had one crack at them, although it wasn't a very good one. Um, so great, great day, great weekend. Um, and we've reached the 250, Peter. So oh, I don't Raise know. Raise your bat. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm going to say thank you to Alan for joining us. It's been a pleasure, sir, as always. You're welcome. Thank, thank you, you. To Andy. Yeah. Thank you to Andy B, Andy Bravery. Always a pleasure. Excellent. Thank you to Andy Not. Thanks for putting it up with me. <laughs> oh, it was great. Good debate. And Perfect. Peter, stand or fall for the 250th time. Up the Albion. Oops, P.S. Just been told by Andy Bravery off air that Fulham, of course, have not been beaten by the Albion in the top flight. So got that one slightly wrong. But that's the last nut to crack. We'll have to do that at the Amex later this season. And PPS, Hope Powell has left her role with the women's Albion team. Not clear exactly what the uh, basis of that was particularly, but they did just get thrashed 8-0 at home by Spurs. So not a great result at all. Hasn't been going well this season in general. So it's probably a mutual consent thing is what I'm going to guess with that one. And PPS, um, congratulations to Liam Rossinia, who's been appointed uh, the new Hull City boss. So well done to him and the very best of luck. An excellent player and um, a backroom guy for us at the Albion. So, stand or fall, up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.